your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. With the ball, Teddy Allen shoots an NBA three. Got it! Bang! A ring! Teddy Allen with a trio. And with 2.35 to go in the first half, Nebraska's up 32-29. to 29. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. We weren't supposed to be here tonight, but here we are. It was supposed to be the Huskers and the Boilermakers tipping it off at Mackey Arena in West Lafayette, but the game postponed to a later time. Safety issues. COVID is the problem. So no basketball for the Big Red. Their next scheduled game will be Sunday, PBA, 5 o'clock against the Indiana Hoosiers. The women will be in action in two nights. Amy Williams' squad headed to Michigan. They're going to play a couple games up there. Michigan Thursday, Michigan State, then on Sunday for Amy Williams' squad as they are coming off a couple of really good wins, beating Rutgers and Northwestern last week. So good week for them. COVID, uh, there were some rumblings this afternoon, Ben McLaughlin, that Ohio State might be wanting to push the championship game back a week, which apparently – Drew a mean tweet from Nick Saban's wife about, are you scared? What are you trying to buy time for Justin Fields to heal those ribs? She pulled the tweet down, but it got out there. People got a screenshot of that. Is there smoke? Is there fire? What do you think? Is there anything to this thing? I don't don't think so. Gene Smith said that they're preparing to play next Monday. Um, So I I would anticipate that being the case, but – um yeah that, that would that would definitely be interesting if there were covid issues with with Ohio State and that caused the delay um because i think at this point you know with everything that's happened this season whether it be you know Alabama without a key, a, a few key players or Ohio State without a few key players we want to see these teams at full strength i mean if it has to if you have to wait a week what what's another week i I don't know. I, I, I feel like at this point we've we've waited, you know, we've been through enough as it is. I would rather see these teams at full strength and, and be versatile than, than to force it being played. But it doesn't sound like the game's in a ton of jeopardy right now. Well, hope not. Uh, but, boy, there were some rumblings, even like the types like Brett McMurphy were out in front of this this afternoon with some of these rumors that were floating around. And the Buckeyes have certainly battled this over the last month or so. I mean, they had to cancel a game against Illinois back in early December because of a breakout on their team. Uh, They had some key components that missed the Big Ten title game against Northwestern. They got them back, Chris Olave being one of those for the game against Clemson, which he was so dominant in. So the Buckeyes have had issues with this that has, and even last week, Ryan Day at one of the press gatherings before the Sugar Bowl made the comment that he was asked about guys. He said, hey, it's a roving, it's a moving target. I think he said, I think that was a term he used. It's a moving target about how many guys are going to be dressed and ready to play uh, in this game. So it's certainly an issue, but, uh, Comical, wasn't it, that Nick Saban's wife put that tweet out about uh, what are you boys wanting to just buy a week for Fields? I mean, come on, that's a uh, what are you what are you doing that for? That's crazy. Well, then Cardale Jones uh, <laughs> just straight up crucified her on Twitter by saying, well, "What happened last time you had to face a an Ohio State backup quarterback?" It, I don't know. I think it adds a little fuel to the game, adds a little fire, and it's nice to see some shots taken. 
you know, from teams that are out of conference from one another as opposed to seeing, you know, Ohio State and Michigan throw arrows or Alabama and Auburn throw arrows. It's nice to see them, you know, a little conference pride get in the way too. Yeah, no doubt. All right, coming up here in a couple of minutes, Brian Christofferson of Huskers 24-7 will be here. We'll get his thoughts about what's been a pretty active couple of weeks for the Husker football team since the season ended at Rutgers a few weeks ago. Some announcements from some seniors who are coming back, a key junior in Cam Tater Britt with his announcement yesterday that he's coming back at a big piece of the recruiting class added over the weekend. So we'll get BC's take on all of that and what's still to come because there's still a handful of those seniors we've not heard from. Kind of thought it would be like a slow drip, like almost one a day. But nothing today out of that department. Kind of waiting on Will Honus, Ben Stilley, Markel Dismuke, Deontay Williams, Diedrich Mills, um, Matt Farniak are guys that I'm still kind of anxious to hear about what they may do. And maybe Brian will have some in- insight on some of that. He's coming up here in just a couple of minutes. Some of the preseason polls are coming out now for some of the other sports. Uh, Tim had this in the ticker at the top. Husker Volleyball comes in at number five for their season, which gets going here in a couple of weeks. Seemed a little low to me, honestly, Ben, when I heard that today with the entire group back from last year that made a region final. I have no issue with Wisconsin being put at the number one spot. They've got a ton of people back after winning the national title a year ago, but this seemed a little low to me that Nebraska is in the five spot. Yeah, maybe on the surface, but I'm fine with it. I think John Cook and, and his team typically performs well when they're the hunter, and they've they've done pretty well as the hunted as well. But you know, you give give Coach Cook a little a little gas in the tank, a little motivation. Uh, I think I think his teams typically respond pretty well to that. So I'm fine with it. Um, you know, I think I think a five ranking into the year is shows you have a strong team, but. Uh, you know, I think the the ranking at the end of the years is what's most important. So, I think it's it's probably a good thing that they're not number one. And you know, you can and I, I, I didn't expect them to be number one, but you know, you give this team some more motivation to get out there and play and play well. I think I think they're going to use it to their advantage. Their practices are underway. They play two weeks from Friday at Indiana is their first weekend of games. We've got a request in to get an interview with the coach sometime this week. Hopefully we can get that done to hear from him as now we have a schedule to kind of debate and jump into. It's really going to be an odd, interesting spring and an NCAA tournament for them. And, you know, one of the things, and we talked about it on the show last night, Ben, about how the NCAA basketball tournament is going to uh, go to the state of Indiana and just break out into sites in Indiana. They're going to use Purdue's arena, Indiana's arena, the Dome in Indianapolis, the Banker's Life Fieldhouse, home of the Pacers in Indianapolis. People are kind of going, well, maybe you do that with volleyball because if you got the Final Four in Omaha, maybe you do that. Maybe you use Sokol Arena, you use the Devaney Center, maybe you use PBA, the CHI Center. Maybe you think about doing that. Maybe the NCAA is thinking about doing that in April. But what's going to make that really odd, Ben, is you had a handful of conferences that have already played their season, Right. The SEC, the Big 12, the ACC, all played. They're, there's, their regular season's done. They played their matches in the fall. And now they're sitting around and, and they're going to wait for their conference champion to get invited to the tournament in April. This is just 
odd how how the how the sport of volleyball handled this thing compared to football where everybody finally once the big 10 came kicking and dragging their way into the fray got on the same page volleyball didn't you have a lot of those major schools and florida is certainly a great volleyball uh uh, volleyball program texas baylor uh have had great volleyball teams in in recent times they're sitting here going to be waiting for three months until the ncaa tournament starts it's going to be bizarre yeah, not a fan of that. I I would have loved to have seen more of a unilateral decision made, uh, especially if I was one of those teams that that played, you know, at the normal time in the fall. But I I don't I don't know. I guess at this this entire year, you you had to be fluid, and you're at you're kind of your own conference's mercy of when they wanted to play those games, and you know the NCAA. Uh, for as much slack as I give them, we're in a tough spot because it was it was basically split. And how are you going to conduct a championship? Inconceivable that you could do one in the fall or the winter time in, in mid December like you typically do, because most of some of your other conferences hadn't played yet. Uh, so I guess this is the the best decision that you could have made. I mean, I mean, it's really making the the best of a bad situation. I don't know that it's a good solution, but. Of the options that you had, you know, you you have, um, you know, just the teams participate that played in the fall and in the winter play for a title, and then you have the ones that participate in the spring play for a title. So you have two champions. Uh, you just don't have one for the teams that played in the fall. I don't know how you would have done it, but but I don't I don't know that anybody's cool with the idea of having two champions or having you know a certain conference or a su- certain group of schools not be eligible to play. It's just it's really a tough situation. I guess you know the one thing that this provides is every team that uh, has played matches an opportunity to win a national championship, even though the the seasons are so far apart. It's 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 going to be a shorter field. They're going forty eight instead of sixty four, so they're not going to have as big a tournament when they get to it in April. Uh, and man, I would rather be the I'd rather be in Nebraska in the Big Ten's position, right? You, you're going to be you're going to be revved up. You're going to be game tough. You're going to be ready to roll. Those conferences that chose to go ahead and play their schedules in the fall are going to, and maybe they get a couple of exhibition matches. And my guess is they will. They have to have some tune-up matches. There's no way you can get your team cranked back up to championship caliber in April if you haven't played a competitive match since. What, November? I mean, that just seems crazy to me. So from that standpoint, I love where the Big Ten schools are positioned for this thing. I'd love to take on one of those SEC schools in the uh, NCAA tournament in April if they've played one or two matches in four months. Well, it'll be interesting to find out what kind of rules the conference lays down about scrimmages, about because it's inconceivable to me that a team that wins their conference in a Power Five conference just rolls out and plays their first match in a tournament. I mean, I just don't see how that that can be a thing. Maybe they can schedule, you know, if you're a team like Florida, maybe you see if the Seminoles can come down for a a scrimmage or something, you know, some type of game action because, I mean – I know Nebraska is not one of those teams, but if I'm a team that's already won my conference, I'm 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 mad about this, and you know I think that's something that needs to be looked at. And um, yeah, it'll it'll definitely be interesting to see what 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 happens with that in terms of uh, you know what conferences and what teams are allowed to do uh, with competition leading up to that tournament. 
Also, Husker Wrestling in the preseason poll for wrestling, and their season begins Friday as they have a duel up in the Twin Cities. Husker Wrestling, number five. And we will have Mark Manning on the program tomorrow night to get his take about his team. Some new faces. There's some familiar ones in the lineup for him as well, but he does have some new guys who are going to take some of those positions uh, in some of the weight classes. But we'll get the breakdown from Coach Manning tomorrow night here on Sports Sunday. Kind of fun to see some of these schedules pop up. Volleyball last week, wrestling came out a few days ago. The gymnastics schedules for the men and women have popped out as well. So a lot of that stuff is starting to really pop around college sports is is, is kind of the the life of, of college sports is kind of coming back after being a comatose state for four or five months, but it's really exciting to see. So Mark Manning tomorrow night, we hope to have the, the head volleyball coach would join us sometime this week as well. Delighted to be joined now by Brian Christofferson of Huskers 24-7. Happy New Year to you, Brian. Did you have a big bash to celebrate the flipping of the calendar? Um, not a big bash, but uh, my family had a little uh, fondue session where we dipped a bunch of meat in oil, and it was really a healthy way to ring in 2021, <laughs> starting good, it off right. Good for you. Wow, that, that's maybe the best celebration I've heard of. That's fantastic. Uh, we made yeah. it, right? We, we made it through 2020, and we got not a complete football season in, but eight games. Uh, do you find it remarkable that – that got accomplished with all the twists and turns that Husker football and the Big Ten certainly took over the last six months? Somewhat. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you'd say you'll take it, right? I mean, where we sit at certain points, I, I was really skeptical that we were going to get, you know, any games in at all. And um, Scott Frost talked about this all year. From Nebraska's perspective, I think the biggest thing, yeah, you wanted to win more games, but this team really needed practices. They needed games, and some of these young guys just needed those reps. So I think if you want to look at a glass half full, uh, especially with Husker football, you're glad that they got that opportunity because there was a, there was a period of time where I didn't think that was going to happen. And, uh, you know, we could be talking about a Nebraska football team that hasn't played a game since last November of, what, uh, 2019 or whatever. So, I mean, we avoided that. Uh, so you're, you're happy that, that at least uh, something good came of it. And we're going to get this thing in if Ohio State can settle uh, on playing in this championship game. Were you surprised that the team voted not to continue on and to end it after Rutgers? Um, a little bit. Uh, I thought because of the, the posture of Husker football falls sort of been let's play the next one uh, no matter what, and I sort of thought that would that would carry through to the end. I was a little disappointed they didn't, I'll be honest. Um, I also thought after the Rutgers game uh, that it seemed like a worn-down team, and I also understand all the uh, hoops these guys were jumping through just to get this season in, and I think you got to really respect that, especially with the student-athletes and, and what coaches did. I mean, they basically put themselves in a bubble, um, you know, since June, and that's hard to do. And, uh, you know, it's also hard to say, uh, okay, we're going to keep you away from your family for Christmas not knowing for sure if some of these bowl games would even go down because we saw some of them got canceled. But I was a little surprised, to be honest, Greg, that they didn't play. Um, I don't think it's going to make or break anything moving ahead to the next year. Um, I think they're, you know, happy they ended on a positive note with a good second half against Rutgers. And now you hope uh, you hope some guys are really ready to roll after they get a little rest here in a couple of weeks when they get back to conditioning. 
There's been quite a bit of news, Brian, since that Rutgers game, and I think there's still news to come as we were waiting on decisions from some of the seniors. What have been the biggest things in your eyes that have happened since that final gun sounded in Piscataway? Well, I think Doman saying he's coming back, first off, let's start there. I When I listened to him on senior day in the post game after the Minnesota game, I honestly thought he was kind of saying farewell um, to his Husker career. And so at that moment, if you had said place odds on if, if JoJo's coming back, I would have placed pretty significant ones that he wasn't. And so I think it was a very pleasant surprise for a lot of Husker fans that arguably – uh, the team's best defender, most versatile defender, guy who never leaves the field. He didn't leave the field against Penn State when they played 91 snaps. Is coming back, and, you know, that's a guy who can help you against the run. He can, on occasion, cover a guy 40, 50 yards down the field. And I think he played his most consistent football of his career this last year. Last spring, Eric Sanander said JoJo was a guy who he kind of had to nail down the details and, you know, at times he would make plays for the Huskers, but at times he would get himself out of position and it would lead to the big plays for the other team. I thought he did his job a lot more like Eric Janander probably wanted him to this year. And so his best football is probably ahead of him. And then when you couple that with Cam Taylor-Britt's decision to come back, I don't know how hard of a call that was for Cam. If he, It sounded like he gave it some thought by his statement um, on social media, but, I mean – those are Nebraska's two best defenders in 2020, I think, and there was some doubt whether they would either both of them would come back. And the fact that they are, that's that's as big as any uh, any new commit or recruit that we're covering. I mean, that those are guys with established resumes. How how how, how good a feeling should Husker fans have about the defense, what they saw on the field, and and then with those two guys coming back, what, what, should it be warm and fuzzy? Should it be really optimistic? Where would you put that on the for the defensive side of the ball as we roll into the winter months here? I think they can be optimistic about defense. I get where the skepticism would come when addressing special teams and offense. I think that's very fair right now. But if you look at just Eric Chenander's group, they, they improved a lot as the season went along. They were much better against the run. Um, especially starting kind of with that Iowa game where they held them to 2.9 yards per rush. I think Iowa went into that game thinking they were going to mash Nebraska and kind of get out their horns and and roll, and uh, that didn't happen at all. Nebraska's front seven played really well. I think you're starting to feel better about some of those middle linebackers, um, and, and young defensive linemen came along too. I thought Casey Rogers was sort of a breath of fresh air at this time a year ago. I don't know that we would have projected he was going to have this type of season ty robinson sort of what you hoped and now you just want him to keep building on it and that really goes for all the guys now they've sort of set the groundwork now it's can they take the next step and can they carry on with their success that they had on in the money moments at the end of the year and by that i mean third down if you look at the first four games of the 2020 season nebraska was one of the worst third down defenses in the country they might have been ranked the worst and the last four games, they were one of the best in getting off the field. So that was really encouraging that they were getting themselves in down and distances that were favorable, and then they were actually closing the deal and getting off the field. And so that, that, that had to make them feel pretty good. 
Again, visiting Brian Christofferson of Huskers 24-7 here on Sports Nightly. Talking some Husker footballs. The season now in the books and into the winter months. We've got another signing day coming up here in a few weeks. You, you look at, at the offense, and it was, even in the Rutgers game, Brian, I mean, 600-some yards, you love that, but the turnovers were still just really, really tough to stomach. Um, where do they go from here? Where, where do they improve offensively to be even more competitive in the fall? Well, I know they had difficulties with the IBAC spot, just keeping guys healthy, uh, and that's part of the conversation here. I mean, Cedric Mills was a guy that they expected to just get a ton of carries throughout this year, and he only played in, what, about half the games. But the I-back has to become a central part of this offense going forward. I think you want to see more of what you saw in the Rutgers game, where, yes, the QB run game is important, but I think as time goes on, ideally you'd like to probably see it where you don't have to have your quarterback run it 18, 20 times. You know, maybe, maybe that goes down to 10 to 12 times, and more of that is on the guys who are on scholarship to kind of tote the ball, those running backs. But concern, I guess, is that we didn't really learn a lot about the young guys, at least the public didn't. Maybe the coaches did behind the scenes. But we saw Marvin Scott in very limited action. We didn't see Sevion Morrison at all. Uh, Ramir Johnson, very limited. And so I think sort of there was this hope I had that we would leave 2020 knowing like who the next guy after Mills was, and I don't know who that is right now. Um, so that's going to have to be important in the spring and the fall camp. So, you know, who, who gets to the front of the line there? We don't know what Diedrich's doing yet. He hasn't announced what his decision is. Um, so that would be a big lift if he came back. But I want to see that what I saw in that second half. I love that where you're, you're feeding your eye back. You're letting those big boys up front do their thing. And, um, you know, hopefully they can, uh, this offensive line got some confidence in that because it's going to be a group that starts probably three freshmen and one sophomore um, next year on the O-line. Granted, that's a little different than usual because of the, the fact that we didn't count this year on eligibility, but th- that's still going to be a relatively young group up front. Do they get, do you think they get, active in the transfer portal? I mean, I, the coach seemed to indicate that they'll look, but that running back spot would seem to be one that you maybe could go pick up a guy that could help you out some. Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, it's possible they might add another in this class and get a high school guy, but they still have four spots available right now. That's the way people have to look at it. So um, subtract from four whatever they add from now on with recruits, and that's how many they could use in the transfer portal. And anybody who's been paying attention to that knows that thing's like, I don't know, I guess the portal has unlimited space, right, Greg? So, I mean, it can, it can house everybody, but it, it's, getting, it's challenging the dimensions of that. I mean, it's getting, it's getting pretty full. So there's a lot of guys to pick from. And so this is a good year to save a few spots in your pocket. And Scott Frost staff has always done that, where they've kept at least two spots open uh, for, for transfer options. And so I would expect they're going to get two or three guys out of the portal before it's all said and done. And I think you're right. I back the spot you maybe take a look at. I think you don't uh, turn your nose at a wide receiver either if you see someone you think can come in and, and push that thing along. And maybe safety, uh, depending on what you know, Deontay Williams and Markel Dismuth do. That could be a relatively young group as well. 
and we don't know what Miles Farmer's injury status is or how long that rehab's going to take. So safety is a spot I would think about as well. Yeah, again, visiting Brian Christofferson of Huskers 24-7 here on Sportsonic, kind of analyzing Husker football here in the off season. You mentioned we haven't heard from Mills, we haven't heard from Honus. Ben Stilley is another one that's hanging out there a little bit. Don't you anticipate those decisions being made here sooner than later? Yeah, I think it has to happen by probably mid-January. Uh, a lot of guys are arriving back around the January 20th date, a lot of the early enrollees. And so I would think the guys who are returning would probably want to know. Uh, they'd probably decide by then. So I think in the next week to two, you're going to hear stuff, probably even maybe some more this week. Uh, still, he would be huge. Uh, you got a local guy who Eric Andrew has said, he was playing really well his senior year of 2020, but he thinks he's on the verge of a breakout. Um, so he's a guy you'd like. You know, Will Honus, same way. He he sort of had his career disrupted by a, a severe ACL injury, and uh, so maybe he wants to play a little more college ball. It's a tough decision for these guys because some of them are 23, 24 years old, and they're at that point in their life where there's a lot of layers to it. They're thinking, you know, it, I have sort of five years of college football here, Maybe I take my shot and look what if I can make it at the next level, and even if I don't, I start my working life uh, if that if football doesn't work out. So I get where those guys are coming from, and like DiCaprio Boodle deciding to to take his shot now because they've they've put in a lot of time. But there are others who are going to look at it and say, you know, this is a pretty good deal uh, playing football at this level in a state like this that puts so much attention on it. There's no guarantee if I try to go to the pro level that I'm going to be playing at this time next year. Uh, I can guarantee myself some more football by coming back. I have to think that's somewhat alluring to some guys who might be fringe pro prospect guys. It's a, it's a fun time of year, and there's more to cover this offseason, I think, than any other one that I've been a part of because of the, you know everybody getting the extra year of eligibility. The transfer portal has certainly turned it into kind of a hot stove league. It's going to be fun. Keeps guys like you and I on our toes, right? I mean, we've got to keep, got to keep our ear to the ground every day for stuff happening. It's kind of fun. Yeah, it's not too bad. Uh, it has it is definitely changed where guys, and people have to realize this, I mean, there's going to be guys who leave, too. I mean, that's part of it now in college right. football. It's just a modern way. And, and so, like, when a, if a guy leaves, I, I don't think uh, the woe is Nebraska football narrative needs to take over like it occasionally does when there's a transfer. I mean, this is just, this is how it is now, and it's going to be kind of the wild, wild west, I think, for the next few months. Great stuff. Brian, we appreciate it. Always fun to catch up with you. Happy New Year to you, and we'll look forward to catching up a bunch here in 2021. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Here's what we have on the the show for this hour. We're going to review our position breakdowns, which we do for Husker football before every season. And and this year was odd because we got about halfway through, maybe even a little more than halfway through back in July and August before the Big Ten pulled the plug. And then we finished it up when the Big Ten came back and said, oh, yeah, we're going to do over. We're going to play. So we did finish it up. And then we go – it's totally unscientific, but we kind of project out with each category how the teams might end up finishing in the standings based on where we rank each team within the running back room or the quarterback room or the offensive line, all those different categories throughout a football team. So we thought we'd do that. We'll also go beyond the headlines later on in the hour. So pulling up the graphic, and Josh was the one as our scorekeeper on all of this, we all know that Northwestern was the winner of the Big Ten West this year. 
And Josh had them the highest in, in if you did this thing out. He had them tied for second with Minnesota uh, in his final rankings if you can put all the uh, positions together and then divide it out. Um, Tim and I had them fourth, and you and Austin, Ben, had Northwestern in the five hole. So you had the least confidence based on this on the Wildcats. I think they surprised pretty much everybody, right? I mean, I don't think anybody was picking them to win the Big Ten West. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just – there were certain positions on their team that I really liked and others that I just – I wasn't sure about at all, um, namely on offense. You know, we we didn't know what – what they were going to look like at, at receiver. Uh, we didn't know what Peyton Ramsey was going to translate to at quarterback. And, you know, we didn't know that, that Drake Anderson would basically be, you know, taken out of the mix from a freshman in Cam Porter. So, you know, putting these things together before the season is, is really difficult. And, you know, as we, as we have found out over years of doing this, just because we have a team picked – fifth or sixth or whatever doesn't mean they're a bad team you know this is just all talent related and you know and there are a lot of teams on here that you know had great talent but didn't have good years and I feel like that that's the case a lot when it comes to putting these together all right Iowa finished second in the Big Ten West Austin and I had that pegged we both had Iowa in the two slot in fact Austin had them tied with Wisconsin in the two position Uh, Ben you had Iowa third uh, Josh had Iowa winning the conference, which really wasn't that far off. I mean, they had two losses. Northwestern had one. Northwestern won the head-to-head, and that was obviously the difference in that. So Josh was close. Tim had Iowa clear down in the five-hole, tied for fifth. So, Tim, you you missed on the Hawkeyes a little bit, having them in the five <laughs> spot, and they ended up being in the two. Uh, yeah, you could you could say I missed a little bit. Um, you know, I think that the off-season turmoil uh, was what kind of be concerned about the Hawkeyes, but – Iowa really turned things around. They they what they had that six game winning streak. Uh, they yeah. impressed me this year. So yeah, I I deserve to crow a little bit. Uh, Mr. Ferentz, uh showed me uh, the the what for uh, with his team's performance, and I guess I deserve to be eating crow a little bit because yeah, the Hawkeyes they definitely surprised. I mean, five is a little bit low. Um, uh, well, I'm sure we'll get to my other inexplicable pick. Uh, Maybe <laughs> who I picked <laughs> number one in a little bit. Um, but Maybe. the sports only supercomputer was not kind to me. But yeah, no, I I I totally will wear that. I was wrong about the Hawkeyes. Well, that's a good point because they were zero and two. I mean, people kind of forget about that. I mean, Iowa loses at Purdue to start the year, and then came home and Northwestern got them, and they're zero and two. And so, great job by by Kirk Ferentz to rally that group and, and to dig them out of it, and then they ran the table from that point on. So they did have a pretty remarkable season after stumbling out of the gate, losing to Purdue and to Northwestern. All right, Wisconsin finished third in the West at 3-3. Three and three. The two games they missed in the West, Ben, were Nebraska and Purdue. They would have been favored to win both of those. So they, if they'd have played out their whole thing, they might have gone 5-3 and three with their record. So they finished third. I had Wisconsin winning the division. You had you had them second. Uh, Josh had them tied for fourth, so he wasn't as high on the Badgers coming into the season as the rest of us were. Tim had them uh, in the three spots, so he had them tied for second, so basically he got that right. Austin had them tied for second as well, so you know, that's pretty good. I mean, where all the magazines and all the experts, Ben, were picking Wisconsin, and I fall into that. The rest of you guys didn't. You didn't have them in that one position. I don't know if that was by dumb luck or what, but you, you didn't have them in that high spot. 
Well, you think about what historically makes Wisconsin great, right? O-line, I think they, they graded out well there, but nothing on quarterback. I think I ranked them very low at quarterback. We had no idea what their running back situation was going to be like. And they lost a lot of key parts on defense. So I think that, that to me, is a reason why Wisconsin was knocked down a peg. I mean, we didn't crucify them. I think I had them second. You had them first. Uh, Josh basically was tied two through five. So really nobody had them ranked worse than third. Uh, but I, I do think that the uncertainty, especially at running back and quarterback, is what ended up hurting the Badgers. Okay, fourth spot was Minnesota with that 3-4 and four record. And, Ben, you and Austin had the Gophers in the one hole. They ended up finishing fourth uh, a half a game back of the Badgers. Yeah, I think – didn't we do this before the announcement of um, – well, there were, there, we did it before a couple of announcements, and then a couple of players opted back in. So it Correct. ended up like Bateman, not yeah. not mattering uh, too much. But yeah, I mean, shoot, you think about what what Minnesota had before the season started. You know, offensive line. I think I know I ranked them high offensive line. I know I ranked Tanner Morgan maybe number one. He might have been my number one quarterback coming into the year. Uh, I think we all expected Mo Ibrahim to, to take a big step forward this year with the loss of those two seniors uh, and Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks and then a receiver you know Rashad Bateman preseason uh, was was ranked as high as big boards on 11 by Mel Kuyper so um, the load loads of talent offensively and it, I don't know if it's crazy to to see how how we got there but clearly defensively there was a lot of holes that this team needed to fill and we're just really unable to until the tail end of the year so you and Austin had them winning the division or based on this unscientific formula. I had the Gophers third. Josh had them tied for second with Northwestern. Tim had them tied for second with Wisconsin. So that's how we did on them. So then here's Nebraska's spot. Oscars at three and five, finished fifth in the West. And honestly, we, we, we all pretty well had Nebraska about where they finished. I had them in the five spot. Uh, ben, you had them in the four spot. Uh, Josh had them tied for fourth. Tim had them tied for fifth. And Austin had them fourth. So we either had them fourth or fifth. So we really, and I guess that's what it should be, right? We kind of know our own team the best. We really were pretty accurate on where we had Nebraska pegged. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, again, we we probably know where Nebraska fits in on a lot of these positions more than than others. And, you know, I – I don't think there was a lot of homering going on, obviously. No one picked them higher than fourth. So, yeah, I think we had a pretty good feel for where we were at, you know, based on each individual position heading into the year. Then in the sixth spot was Purdue at two and four. I had them seven. Ben, you had them seven. Uh, Josh had – it was a clean sweep. All of us, all five of us, Ben, Josh, Tim, and Austin, all of us had Purdue in the basement in – the, the Big Ten West. They did finish one peg higher than that in the sixth spot. Uh, so then you go to Illinois, who did finish in the seventh spot, cost Lovey his job. He goes two and six in the, in the league. Uh, ben, you and I, and Josh and Austin had them in the sixth spot, so we only missed by one. But this was where Tim Curran got out on that limb, as Tim, in your final computation of this whole thing, had the Fighting Illini winning the division. Um, 
I reserve the the right to withhold comment on that decision. Uh, <laughs> all I'll say is this: I remember remarking at the time, this was not by design at all. Uh, the way we weighted this, uh, my special team pick, I, I put him at number one for whatever reason. I thought that James McCourt was just a stud place kicker, and so I put them at number one overall special teams. That really swung it. I also uh, was impressed with their depth in the secondary and at linebacker. Of course, I think I remember Ben. Uh, had a shot across the bow at me at the time saying, well, they might have, you know, depth, but the players that are returning, it's not necessarily a quality situation in terms of the guys they got returning. So, uh, yeah, I I got kind of, you know, uh, maybe it was that Athlon report I read. Uh, They were really big on the fight in Lovey's. Well, it turned out the fighting Illini uh, went, you know, two and six or whatever in in canned uh, Lovey's. So uh, not, not the best situation, although, in my defense, I did not intend to make Illinois the number one team in the West. That's just how the Sports Nightly supercomputer crunched it out. And uh, <laughs> here I am looking uh, like a dunce. But it happens. It does. Uh, you know, again, we, we were all fairly accurate, minus Tim, on Illinois. As the rest of us had them in the sixth spot, they finished seven. So if you average it all together, Josh and I performed the best in this thing, followed by Austin, then Ben, and then... Tim, with the egregious air of Illinois, uh, was was last in our group with this thing. But kind of fun to look at that. And Josh put together kind of a, a look back in, in years past of what we did this thing. Usually, Ben, you and I are kind of more toward the both toward the top of this thing. And heck, we study this thing basically on a day to day basis. We better darn well be fairly fairly close yeah. to this thing. Well, well, what would be interesting is if we obviously, you know. Things are weighted the same on this, which yeah, the, which shouldn't. The be. results are always skewed because you're going to weight quarterback more than you're going to weight yeah special teams or whatever. Um, but it would or be interesting. Yeah. It would be interesting having having us pick just outright who think who we think the best teams in the West are going to be or how we think it's going to finish, and then see how that relates to our position rankings. Because there's no way Tim would have picked Illinois to win the West. No, it just right. kind of worked out that way with the rankings. It would be funny to see, you know, where we pick the teams to finish and how that corresponds to not only what really happens, but what our position rankings are. I think you've got you've got three three sets of data there that could be really interesting. Maybe maybe that you know that that position ranking grid is more accurate than we think or maybe it maybe it's further inaccurate than we think i don't know it would just be kind of interesting to see how that that correlates to who we actually think are the best teams because you know as we kind of said greg northwestern isn't going to be picked sixth or fifth most times to win the league i think between us but they're probably going to be picked fourth fifth or sixth in a lot of position rankings because of of where they're at. I mean, I think that's kind of the, the good counter example there. I mean, Wisconsin, Iowa, those teams are always going to be toward the top, both in where we rank their positions and, and where we rank them as a team coming in. But there are a few interesting, and another one that, you know, you take this to the East division, right? I mean, on paper, the Maryland Terrapins would be probably top three in a lot of position groups in terms of talent uh, with, with what they run out there, but you're never going to pick pick Maryland above a Penn State or a Michigan or a Michigan State even in the standings but based on pure talent alone they're probably going to rank pretty high if we were to do this exercise in the east 
It's fun, though. I got to tell you, it's one of my funner things. One of the funnest things in segments we do all year. I love getting into the position breakdowns. Then you and I break it down, and then we go into the ranking. I I love that time of year when we kind of get it. Plus, it's in the middle of summer usually, and we're kind of getting revved up and getting the fever going for some football. But I do love and enjoy doing that, and we always like to recap it just to see how close or not close that it is when it – uh, gets wrapped up so we figured we'd do that next week we'll look back at our preseason top 25 how close were we on that time for us to go beyond the headlines that's the way it is good night beyond the headlines well, Mr. Mick Steiner and I have Woo-hoo. come up with the seven uh, scientifically uh, gathered best sports headlines of our era, uh, dare I say. That's probably going a little bit too far. Of at least, yeah, uh, at least the day. Stretch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of at least stretch. the day. Um, starting out with uh, numero uno, the rumor mill currently suggesting that former Ohio State and Florida head coach Urban Meyer is prepared to leave his cushy gig with Fox and take on the Jacksonville Jaguars head coaching job. And there's also reports hinting that Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh is actively searching for an NFL head coaching position. Uh, so, gentlemen, if you guys were an NFL GM, which of those two would you rather take and why? Well, this is a no-brainer. I mean, we, we've seen Harbaugh try and do it in the NFL, and we've seen how explosive those locker rooms that he <laughs> coaches can get. It's, it's Urban Meyer all day is who I'm taking. Now, Harbaugh took a team to the Super Bowl, right? right? I mean, he's he got a lot more experience in that league. I don't know that it's quite as slam dunk as Ben. I would lean Urban, but I don't know that Urban's heavy hand, I don't know how that would play in the NFL. I mean, you get away with that in college because, right. you know, guys are scared of you, but not, pros aren't going to be scared of him. And he, he, he he's has, got the health issue, too. He's the got the health says. issue that, you know, and that was with coaching a program that never lost. So how's he going to handle going 8-8 eight and eight or 6-10 and ten in a season? Yeah, I, I just – I don't know. I guess it's more of an indictment on how Harbaugh left the Niners and what all those players were saying about him <laughs> yeah. that have me less confident. Yeah, he made it there, and and that was great, you know, to him to make it make it to the Super Bowl and, and to win that division, which has been the toughest division to win, in my opinion, in any professional sport in, like, the last 10 years. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't – I don't see – I don't see that going over well. I'm willing to give Urban a chance over Harbaugh. Obviously, it's behind the NFC East, but yeah, I'd be the next one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, um, we're sticking in football here, and I'm glad you haven't talked about this one yet because I'd love to hear your take. So Sunday night, Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts was benched with about 13 minutes left in the fourth quarter, trailing 17-14 to 14 to the Washington football team. Backup, backup Nate Sudfeld was brought in to replace him, a third-string quarterback who hasn't taken a snap this season. The Eagles appeared to be tanking in order to improve their draft position, which drew the ire of Giants fans and their coach Joe Judge, who needed a Philadelphia win in order for them to make the playoffs. Sure enough, the Eagles lost and eliminated the Giants from playoff contention and improved the Eagles' draft order. Whose side are you taking on this, Phillies or New York's? Yeah, it's bad. It's bad business for Philadelphia to do that. When you know there's a lot at stake for the team you're playing and and other teams, you need to give it your best effort 
And we see this a lot in September baseball in major leagues. And when you're playing a team that's still fighting for – you tend to keep your veterans out there more than if you're playing some other team and it doesn't really matter whether you win or lose if you're playing two bottom feeders. But that wasn't the case. That was that was a really bad look for Philadelphia. I, I don't blame people for being mad. I think it's a little over top for the Giants fans. Be better than 6-10 and 10 if you want to make the playoffs. But it's still a bad look, I think, for Philadelphia. Yeah, it is. I don't know if I could pick one. I guess the lesser of the evils here is probably the Giants fans, and I get that they're they're mad off emotion. But at the, yeah, at the end of the day, you're six and ten. I mean, that you're yeah. you're four games under five hundred. I don't really want to hear a lot of complaints. Now that being said, it it is ratcheted up a few notches because of them being a rival and them being in your division. So I, I understand right. where the hatred's coming from. Yeah, devil's advocate, though, the incentives are there for Philadelphia. Hard to blame the organization, even though the players certainly didn't like it. Jalen Hurts certainly didn't seem to like it. Uh, But organizationally, the incentives are in place for that to happen. So if the NFL doesn't want to see this happen and the fans don't want to see it happen, it'd probably be best for them to switch up how they do the draft, maybe go to an NBA lottery style. But even then, that would still probably not completely eradicate that but anyway uh moving on well, what, to sorry. before you jump on what what happened to kicking everything off at the same time didn't they do that the last couple of seasons where everybody played at like two o'clock oh, yeah i'm guessing the tv windows tv guys hated that because they couldn't get different windows but that was i thought a good way to do it where you have everybody kicking off at the same time so you have to kind of play it to the end i, I don't know why right. they abandoned that yeah last, last year was the famous game where they had uh all the announcers like calling, calling other games. other games while they while right. they were while they were calling the same game. Yeah, yeah, they, they, that's a good idea. They should they probably should have kept with that. Uh, moving on to, to topic number three, I uh, really curious to hear your guys' take on this. Uh, you know, the national championship game, of course, set to get underway uh, Monday. Well, we think Monday still uh, between Alabama and Ohio State. However, according to the New York Times, a champion has already been crowned. Uh, according to the illustrious paper of record, UConn are the real national champions as they opted not to play football this season due to the pandemic. Gentlemen, your thoughts on this claim? <laughs> so because they didn't play football, they want to give them the national championship? <laughs> yes, the moral national championship, which is better <laughs> oh than the real God. national championship. Jeez, that's, that's <laughs> something. I mean, that's a special. That's a special kind of agenda, right there, <laughs> to uh, to put that out. Good grief! Seems a bit of a stretch, right? I mean, a little bit. Yeah. Well, what I'll <laughs> so, say is this: I understand. You know, like no one wants to. It, it, for me, if there's a player, and and I think there were a, were a handful of players, if you want to opt out of, of the season for personal reasons, that's that's of course more than acceptable. That's that's absolutely okay. I think that one of the issues you have with you know a, a, a probably pretty well compensated writer uh, firing off an op-ed like this, who can still continue to make a decent living during the pandemic, when there are you know people uh, that work in sports, and certainly us, we're 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 connected to, to obviously uh, sports as well. Um, you know that that de- that depend frankly on college football to make a living now should that be the only consideration whether or not uh, determinations made playing but no as we saw with um you know the big 10 uh, they had the testing in place and were able to for the most part at least certainly nebraska took care of business and was able to to not uh, have a COVID outbreak so wh- if you can play it safely to, to seem to kind of come out after the season is already over and say uconn's the only team that did this right it seems a little bit of a stretch to me but uh, what do i know 
Think about how fun that Christmas party might be with all the all the participation ribbons handed out. I mean that that's almost that that almost seems like that almost seems like a you know you know everybody gets an award type type place to work. That must be a fun place to work. I mean there there wasn't there isn't a bad job done at that place. I would nope. imagine. No, then no. you didn't see their quarterback at the uh, Heisman Trophy uh, announcement tonight. No, I don't. I, I, yeah, I, maybe maybe I missed he, him, but he I wasn't there. That would him. that would have been the uh, the participation <laughs> Heisman. So we will stick with our hard our good run of football here by talking about Tom Brady making Antonio Brown a richer man on Sunday, with Tampa Bay leading the Falcons forty four to twenty seven and just over two minutes to play. The Buccaneers only needed to run out the clock to win it. However, Brady threw three straight shovel passes to Antonio Brown to pick up a first down giving him three catches and a total of 45 on the season. He, that kicked in a contract bonus of $250,000 for Antonio Brown. Do you guys approve of Brady helping his teammate out in this way, or do you feel that it goes against the spirit of a contract initiative? I'm okay with this. I mean, so many of these contracts are incentive-laden, and if you're that close to something, why not? It, it probably helps their locker room out. They weren't throwing bombs to him. They were giving him little shovels. They weren't trying to embarrass the opposition with that. I'm, I'm okay with this one. Absolutely. The Saints did the same thing with Emmanuel Sanders. I think he needed eight catches for a 500K bonus. Let him go get their bread. Why not? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just going to stay in the pocket of the of the franchise anyway. So let those guys – let's go those guys. I think it's awesome. I, I mean, I would love that if I was – I mean, think about that like, you know, if you were a part of that. You know, you're two catches short or, you know, one touchdown yeah. away or something. You, you would want that extra rep. Yeah, Mick and I, uh, we're going to see if we can't get a contract incentive for uh, this Beyond the Headlines segment. Uh, well, how about this? <laughs> to, to play devil's advocate yet again, what if it was a uh, kind of a trick play? Let's say Tom does a fake kneel down and then just chucks it up to A.B. who waltzes into the end zone. Would that be as – do you think was that Was it would receptions based or yardage based? It was reception receptions. Receptions, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's unnecessary. Like, like it's just completely unnecessary. Get Get your uh, get your catch and 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 be done with it. You don't right. you don't need to be right. you don't need to be rubbing salt in the mood. Wound right. I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying, but they didn't do it that way. They did yeah. not execute it that way. That's fair. That's fair. So there's a there's a little bit of a gray area, but it's but it is okay. Uh, moving on, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver uh, is apparently mulling over plans to expand the NBA from its current size of 30 teams. He told reporters uh, just before the season started that he feels it's quote manifest destiny that the league should expand at some point. Uh, make the first time the NBA has added a team since the Charlotte Bobcats. Now they're the Hornets, but they were the Bobcats. Were added in 2 didn't start playing until 2004. Uh, with that in mind, which cities do you guys think would make the best candidate uh, to get a team? And of course, Kansas City, can... baby. Yeah, yeah they, they stand out. Um, Seattle. Yeah, I know they Give really Seattle. want the Sonics back. It's it's got they've got hockey right. Seattle is there hockey start this year in Seattle? Uh, no, I is don't it, know. I think is it, it next year or or this year? I looked that up. I, I can't remember. But yeah, see. Seattle is still in pain for the Sonics going to Oklahoma City. Uh, they would certainly be one. Kansas City used to have a franchise. I think they'd be fine. Man, you're kind of running out of them, right? I mean, St. Louis doesn't have one. Maybe maybe you look at St. Louis. I I, I don't know. It, it seems like you have a lot of the spots around the country covered yeah they do start this year seattle uh-huh. that's why i thought th- i thought they were part of the draft so i thought they were the this Kraken. year there you go Kraken. that's right i am currently wearing a hat of an expansion mls franchise the austin uh fc team my brother 
gave it to me as a uh, he's a Austin resident, well, the hipster he the, is. So and the Kraken was your team in the SNBL. This is true. Well, they were really yeah. the Cthulhu's, but they were shorthanded to Kraken. Apparently, the uh, they did not have a voiceover of them saying <laughs> Cthulhu. Very disappointing to find that out. Has your write-in got responded to yet on that issue, Tim? Have you heard back from uh, the, the MLB The Show people? <laughs> no, still still crickets. Um, very, very sad. I'll have to follow up with them soon, I'm sure. All right, guys, we'll move on to college basketball. So in the game today, players from both, both Boston University and Holy Cross opted to wear masks while they were playing, even though it's not mandated by their conference or the NCAA. Boston University's women's team has already started doing the same. Other women's teams have been wearing masks as well, including number 20, DePaul. Do you think we'll see more of this in college basketball, or do you see it not catching on as much? I don't know. I think you'll see you'll see some guys. I think if you have a breakout on a team, you may have guys that are caution starting to wear a little bit more. I think it. I think you may see a little bit more as we kind of get deeper into the flu season and this kind of year. But I don't know that it's going to be earth shattering. But I think you'll see some of it. Yeah, I think I think you might you might see a little bit more. I just think these guys are being tested every day and are around each other anyway. And I would imagine. Right. You know, especially like in a conference like the Big Ten. I know we're, we're, you know, this isn't, we're not just talking the Big Ten here, but every school is being tested every day. So it's, you know, I I feel like if you're having that, that amount of resources, it would be hard to not catch it, at least in a situation where it's, you know, you're, you're required to wear, not required, but you're choosing to wear a mask while you're on the feet, uh, on the court. You know, I see more situations like what happened with Nebraska and Purdue where maybe there's a postponement. Than, than to see guys wearing masks, but I, I I do I do think that it's it's possible. I kind of see it happening. So I know I noticed that Creighton's team when they played Nebraska, they just did it a pers- as a personal decision. Some of them wore them, some of them didn't. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, rounding out here with our final topic of the evening, obviously no doubt that Iowa Hawkeye star Luca Garza, tremendous college basketball talent. Um, according to a new Yahoo profile on him, though. I'll, a lot of his success could stem from the work ethic his father instilled in him in some unique workouts he devised for his son. About every summer, apparently, Garza's father puts Luke through some intensive drills. He's got shooting work where he has to hit a certain percentage to improve a shot. He's got swimming countless laps and doing breathing exercises to improve his lung capacity. Uh, and get this, he does agility drills and sprints in the dusk when mosquitoes are out in full force. Uh, and the idea behind that, to make him move quicker because uh, he'll get bitten up. Uh, if he rests at all. So uh, mosquito workouts, uh, you guys on board with that? Good idea? Or is that just plain cruel? Seems a little ridiculous. I mean, you got to outrun these mosquitoes here, bud, or you're going to get bit. I, that's a little ridiculous. I, I much prefer the uh, the Florida boys down there in the – in the in the Everglades or where, in, in Miami, oh, wherever yeah. it is that they do it, catching rabbits, chasing <laughs> rabbits uh, to Probably improve agility. Too. Yeah. Wasn't it Rocky was chasing the guy made him chase chickens? Yeah, something like that. In, in the first Rocky original, that was how the trainer got Rocky Balboa to get his quickness up by chasing chickens Beat around up the steers. Or or pull, pulling trains, throwing logs. Yeah. Lots of good yeah. stuff. Yeah, that seems a little much to be, you know, trying to keep from getting bit. I, I, don't, I don't think that's real smart to do that. Can't you get... Something from a lot of mosquito bites? I mean, obviously. Well, yeah. Certainly if they have communal disease. I mean, it's not yeah. like West Africa. But, yeah, I mean, a mosquito, I certainly getting chewed up by them, that's not fun, and you could probably get sick. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, it's working for him. He's having a he's had a heck of a career at Iowa. Is he a, is he a lottery pick? I would Pro- assume he will be. 
probably. Some NBA scouts don't like that he's a little bit lumbering, but yeah. I mean, he's got the size for sure, and he scores in volume. So I think that someone be, should be willing to take a chance on him at the very least. Yeah, I don't know that he's a top five, but he's probably, yeah, you're probably right, probably toward the bottom part of the lottery probably would go. You're right, Tim. Those were good. I'm not sure those were the all-time best, but those were good. Those were solid. It was a solid B. We'll take it. Nope. Group. Yeah. Contract Tim, incentive or no? That's my question. Tim was the curator on these. so yeah. Contract incentive? Tim, I don't we'll, know. we'll address the contract incentives <laughs> when you give bonus points and buy-sell. How about that? Okay. It might be a while. <laughs> it might be a while. <laughs> oh, that's good. Thanks to Brian Christofferson for spending some time with us here tonight on the program. Thanks to Ben, to Tim, to Mick, and to all of you. Enjoy the rest of your night. We're back with another full edition of Sports Highly tomorrow night. Good night.